0: We're back once again. Yeah, I'm Paul C. Fuentes. And I'm David Rausch. Yes. I graduated seventh in the class. Really? Yeah. What did you? What were you in the class?
1: Much lower than that or higher than that, I guess, depending on whichever was worse.
0: <laughs> I actually, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I was seventh. I think I was, but I should back off of that because someone could know and they could email me and be like, actually, Paul, I was seventh.
1: Actually, like a year ago, I was scanning a bunch of old paperwork and I found a transcript. Oh. And so in my mind, if you asked me, what kind of student were you in high school? I would say I was a pretty good student. Mostly A's, a couple B's, maybe a C. You know, I had two D's. Two what? Two D's, as in like one above F. (laughs) I was flabbergasted that those were on there. And I was like, what? What? And then I think I just kind of remember like, oh yeah, toward the end of junior-senior year, I think I just stopped trying because I was like, it doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) That sounds like a very much a Dave Roush story. What classes do you remember? Wasn't freshman year health, was it? No.
1: (laughs) You're the one that has five kids, (laughs) not me. (laughs) So I was not as good of a student as I thought I was, but you... And our guest this week, Tori, were because you both got into a prestigious college.
0: Yeah. I went to college with her and I remember hanging out with her in college, but then we kind of lost touch afterwards. And so, like, connecting with this was great. Since we recorded this, I went over to her house and said hello. Yeah. Met her family. She lives out in Wheaton.
1: Yeah. You you texted me a picture of you in front of the Abington.
0: Yes. I wasn't in front of the Abington. You were I was pretty much driving past day. it. Yeah. I mean, but I wasn't taking like a selfie. I didn't get out of the car to take a picture in front of the... I was driving past it. And I took a
1: picture. Yes. Okay. So we're going to roll the interview. And also in your podcast player, if you look at the description of the episode, you're going to see our special fancy email addresses. Yeah. We are david at 20yearreunionpodcast.com and paul at 20yearreunionpodcast.com. And if you want to say hi, you can email us there.
0: Please. Let us know who's listening out there.
1: Yeah. Now that we got that public service announcement out of the way... Let's go ahead and do it. Roll it. So I figured out where I like to start. Introduce yourself and then describe who you were in high school.
2: All right. My name is Victoria Fiore. I was also known as Tori in high school. I was, I think, reserved to an extent, opinionated. I was in some of the smart classes, but not all of them. So I definitely wasn't one of the smartest kids. I was in choir and theater. I never felt like I totally found my exact niche. I would say I wasn't friendless, but I definitely wasn't in the quote unquote popular group. And I think there was a view that I wasn't particularly a partier. But it was just a little underground at the time <laughs> and flourished. Flourished in that way later.
1: Ah, okay. So you mentioned a few activities, theater, et cetera. Which activity was your favorite or did you did you identify with most?
2: I guess I'd say choir and theater. But also some of the international, the the political science stuff I did. When I first started, I, I played sports. And so I played softball the first year and went out for basketball. And I think I got on the team and then just decided not to do it. Because I was a year younger than everybody else in our grade. And I'm was i naturally a pretty small person. And so I was really small. And so I have a very vivid memory of playing first base, hearing the coach on the competing team say, just bowler over, which is exactly what that team did every time they they ran to first base. It just knocked me down. Oh my gosh. I did choir all four years and I did theater and musical theater. And then the other thing I was very involved with was the clubs that Miss Marsnick organized and Melissa Jimenez and I co-chaired several of those, the one, the youth in government. And then we did one that was focused on international issues.
0: Was that model UN?
2: Oh, we created our own club and I'm totally forgetting what the hell it was called.
0: <laughs> but- I do remember you creating your own club. I do remember yeah. that.
2: It was focused on some international cause, but yeah, I have a terrible memory. I have to ask my high school friends about things that happened to school all the time.
1: <laughs> this is going to go great. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: So what was it about, about some of those clubs that drew you in?
2: Well, I was always fascinated with, I guess, causes, global causes, domestic causes, but particu- particularly politics and international relations. So I think it was just an early on, you know, really kind of fostering that interest in what was going on in the world and what role I could play, however modest, in helping make it a little better. So that was where the early years of me really understanding. And Mrs. Marcinick, who has since passed away, was really my shepherd and all of that. So she she and I were quite close. I credit her with fostering so much of my love for international cultures and politics and just being aware of what's happening in the world and our role in it. Yeah, she was really monumental in my life.
1: Did you have any international exposure like earlier in life prior to to high school?
2: No, our family was really, I mean, I was always interested. My parents talk about how as a kid, I was really interested in things that were going on in other countries and cultures, but I never traveled. We didn't have the resources to do that. We grew up pretty modestly. So
1: Were there competitions in those, or was it purely like get together? I I didn't do those clubs. They sound interesting, but
2: using government had a competition. Oh yes, it did.
1: Okay, yes, Yes. it did. You were on the you were legislative,
0: yeah.
2: Yes. So you you went down. You like you basically would write a law, and then you'd go down to there were like pre rounds where you'd work with other kids or whatever, and then you in other schools, and then you'd go down to Springfield, and we got to take over the legislature for like a long weekend. And it was also a huge party if you're 15 years old
0: <laughs> to,
2: to be in Springfield in a hotel. I think it was the Holiday Inn, but it was, it was very fun. And in fact, I met there a guy from another school in Southern Illinois who ended up coming up and visiting me on multiple occasions and then went to Notre Dame with me and Paul and then we dated briefly. So, like this, this person was like involved in my life for a decade, which was really bizarre. So, you could also make lifelong friendships at youth government. <laughs> Should
1: get there you it in is. there. Put on the poster. Get you in there to yeah, speak to the the future students. Sell them on it. I like. Yeah, it.
2: exactly. It's like also in the future you can get laid. <laughs>
1: I think we have our sound clip. I like it.
2: <laughs>
1: there are the title. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So who else did you did you hang out with?
2: I hung out with a lot of theater kids. A lot of kids that were a year older than us, Colby Hannock and Kevin May and Karen Hurt. My good friends coming into high school were Aaron Riley, Anna Cook, and Megan Peters. And we all stayed really good friends, but our primary friend groups were different in our class. But I don't, I never really felt like I had a a fixed group of friends. I had people that I was certainly closer to at different, different years. There was also this crew of people that were slightly more religious. And so I went through a phase with that where I was interested in religion. And then I ended up not being particularly religious. I had a different path on that. So, but yeah, I don't know. There was theater, there was, Activities outside of theater and interests. And then there were just people that I clicked with.
0: Which musicals were you involved in?
2: So I was on stage. I was in, I was crew for every single one of them for the time that I was there, starting as a freshman. I did sound for a lot of them. And then I did like some stage management organization kind of stuff. And I loved crew. I think probably my proudest moment from that standpoint was being on stage for the boyfriend in which I was the, the old french lady paul was involved
0: yeah i was the i was your old old french guy love yes. lo- lo- love interest yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so so that was pretty fun
0: fancy um, forgetting i think was the, the song that we would sing yes yeah.
2: yes mm-hmm. exactly right and we would waltz together on the stage dressed up as old people
1: can we see if either of you remember it? You want to just serenade me together? I, like you would sing it together? Is that, that how it worked?
2: Yeah.
1: I can uh, see Paul Paul it knows it. Like, he's, he's waiting to see. Yeah, if you, you know if it. You know. Start
2: it. Start it.
1: No,
0: not, not a chance. Come on. Okay.
1: This is what, Dave, this <laughs> is what Dave
0: does.
2: The love that we knew when it. we were fancy-free, right?
0: Yeah, I think that was it. I mean yeah. you I think you sang more I think you sang more of it than I did. <laughs> I think I just sang in the chorus and you did a great job. No, I just want no. to say that. Oh thank you. No. This isn't about me. That's, this is about you, Victoria. Really so let's concentrate on your side of the thing. That's
1: impressive though.
0: Yeah. 20 oh, no, something years later,
1: <laughs> you can still sing. I mean it, it was a
0: magical moment. I mean yeah. I think The highlight, perhaps, of a high school musical was when two high schoolers dressed as old people and (laughs) sang a romantic song while waltzing. That's what everyone was lining up for.
2: Yeah, it's true. I think, actually, maybe one of my proudest moments was when I had a breakout moment singing. And so I was in choir, but I wasn't, you know, I was just in the choir. Like I never had any solos or anything like that. And then we all had to practice the solo so we could practice singing in front of everybody and you had to pick something and our choir teacher whose name was
0: Mrs. Wolcott
2: Mrs. Wolcott Still there. She is? Mhm. Wow. She kept like pitching me on these like you know young and love songs like I am 16 going on 17 like that kind of stuff and I was just like no nah, like I need something raw. And so she <laughs> so she so she, she started playing this solo from Miss Saigon which is about a woman who in Vietnam during the Vietnam war and basically a refugee of the war. And she has a son with an American who's no longer there. And she sings a song to her son, basically saying that she'll kill herself so that he can live a better life. And that was a song I sang. And I was like, yes, that's the one. And I remember when I st- when I you practice, 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 and you perform it in front of the whole choir. And I remember the moment that I performed it because everybody was silent when I was done. And then everybody started applauding because it was just so like sad and raw. And it yeah. was just, it yeah. met me, like that was what I wanted to sing at the time. I think that was all connected to that kind of interest in what was going on in the rest of the world. And then the other moment that I was really proud was when I got into college. That was a big deal for me. And Paul and I both got into Notre Dame and that was, that was a huge achievement and I was very proud.
1: It was a package deal, right? You wrote in so said, yeah,
2: we, we if you want together. one of us, you got to take both of us. Yeah. <laughs> so then what? I loved college. I loved being away on campus. It was crazy fun. And then around junior year, I stopped loving it. And
0: this is, this is news.
2: Well, what happened? So I didn't stop loving it. I just had a different viewpoint of what was going on. My sophomore year, I went on spring break to Cancun and my husband teases me that I often refer to that as the best week of my life and it's still I still would say it's the best week of my life. Like it was it was so straight up unapologetically fun. And I look back on it, I mean, having my son was great, getting married was great. Like there've been a lot of wonderful things that have happened to me, but this was just like raw uninhibited fun for a whole week. It was amazing. That's neither here nor there. Fast forward, then I went to London. That was my first time ever leaving the country. And it was transformative for me. I had an amazing time. And everything I wanted to know about the world, I started to get to see. And we went to Paris on that trip. And we visited Notre Dame, the cathedral. And I was so excited to be there. And while I was there in, in a mass, there were tourists going around the cathedral and people actively touring and taking photos. And there were things being sold in the back, like stores and vendors. And I was so disturbed by that because anybody is Christian, they'll know that, you know, one of the famous teachings of Jesus was, you know, throwing all the vendors out of the temple and saying like, that's not what this is about. And it felt like such a hypocrisy to me. So, that was one of the first like real moments where I started to have an issue with the Catholic church. And then more moments like that happened. And, and another that happened to me while I was there is because of parietals. I had gone over to hang out with some guy friends and parietals were a thing where like 11 o'clock you need to leave and they go around and check to make sure people have left. And so if you want to still hang out, people hide and then they hang out. And so I did that, but you get in a lot of trouble. If they find out that, you're, that you spent, Beyond bridals in a dorm of the opposite gender. And I ended up being sexually assaulted because I was stuck in that room and I didn't feel like I could leave. And that was the second moment where I was like, you know what? This is really misguided. Like this whole thing is really misguided. And so I started to really question the institutions of faith and became much more interested in finding my own spirituality and stepping outside of the structures of the church. And so then I started to really dislike things about Notre Dame.
0: I just want to, I'm sorry that that happened to you.
2: Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's it's fine. Thank you. And it, and it was fine. And I, I, you know, I'm fine. But yeah, I just, I, since then, like, I feel like the the idea, like many things in the world, not just in any particular religion, the idea sounds great, but the practice is short-sighted. And so if I ever make a ton of money and can influence, I would influence Notre Dame to kill parietals and create more structure that keeps people safe.
1: Appreciate you. sharing because i I think gives a lot of insight into kind of how you became the person you became right all these different situations and and realizations and things going through life so thank you
2: yeah so i also met a guy named dave who not the podcast host for those who are listening Um, (laughs) and he and i were very much in love and he came from an incredibly different background than me i was very proudly not poor, but like very proudly middle-class. And Notre Dame, as Paul to attest, there were a lot of kids who came from a lot of money. So I think Paul and I were both there on scholarship. <laughs> I know I was, but it was, you know, it was a reach financially for my household. And anyway, I met a boyfriend, I fell in love with him and I found out into our relationship that he was insanely wealthy. I remember telling him that a friend of ours had a house with eight bathrooms and I just thought that was disgustingly opulent. And like, you know, there are people are starving the world and he was like, you know, I'm going to tell you this because I don't want you to find out from somebody else, but my house has 10 bathrooms. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, wow. um, I so never do that. yeah, he was, he was loaded. The point of me telling you this is it was really transformative because we dated for a long time, deep into my twenties. And I, like I said, came from a 1200 square foot house in Villa Park and really modest background. And so I just got exposed to all sorts of people and lifestyle things that really opened my eyes to how different different people lived and what what they thought and what their world was like. And I was able to look at it with instead of a kind of competitiveness or judgy or like us versus them, like kind of be a part of it. And I really credit that with, you know, a lot of where I am today, which is, I think, an ability to kind of move between all sorts of different social circles. Yeah. Anyway, I graduated Worked at Deloitte Consulting to get some business experience and then dropped to that job and decided I was going to go to international academic development and got a job doing that and moved to India and lived in India for a few years.
0: Well, how did you... So walk us through like, I'm at Deloitte and now I'm going to India for a few years. So <laughs> give us some some steps. What are key moments that, that maybe led you that way?
2: So the quick story is there's an institute at Notre Dame for... It's called the Institute for Peace, and it is focused on all the things in the world that stop peace. So religion, you know, obviously extremist religion. At the time, 9-11, it just happened. So terrorism, which is usually motivated by economics. And so all these different things. And I, I just became to believe through my studies that economics was at the root cause of it all. At the time, there was something happening. So this would be like 2004, 2005, called microfinance. And I was incredibly interested in that, which is giving small loans, mostly to women in the developing world. As the economy improves, all of the societal elements improve as well. And so I decided that's what I want to work on. And my advisor there, he said, you have the very best of intentions. But if you go out and work in a nonprofit right now, or in a, in a you know social impact organization, you're going to end up being an office admin, because you have no viable skills for those organizations so you better go get some skills and I said I really don't want to do that and he said you really have to and so that's what I did I took this job at like consulting which was my n- worst nightmare cuz I was like very anti-capitalist you know idealistic 21 year old and they worked the hell out of me for 2 years as a business analyst I was on the road almost every single day of the week you would get on a flight at like 6 or 7 a.m. Monday morning and stay in whatever city they had you in and then fly back Thursday night. And it sucks. I would never recommend that to anybody. But it was the most intensive 2 years of education in my life. I learned so much. And everybody said, you make a lot of money too for that age. And everybody was like, you're never going to leave. You're going to get sucked in. You're going to love the money and blah, blah, blah. I got promoted and I left the next week because I was so convicted that I wanted to go work in microfinance. So I left and I asked, I, like, did, I had this very comprehensive spreadsheet of every single organization in person in the microfinance world and reached out to all of them and basically badgered that industry until somebody gave me a job. And the job was in Seattle. So at, this was... I was 24. So I packed up all my stuff and flew out to Seattle and rented an apartment and went to Ikea with my mom and bought a bunch of furniture and started working in Seattle for a nonprofit called Unitas. Within 2 months, I went to India on a business trip and decided not to leave. I got to go in the field and work with the actual microfinance institutions that we were advising and meet the people who were recipients of the loans and see what was going on like in the ground in the real world. And I was just hooked. And so I called my parents and told them I was going to move to India. And they were not at all excited about that decision.
0: How did that conversation go? I mean, is that like, hey, hey, mom, I'm moving to India? Or like, hey, are you sitting down?
2: So they kind of, they kind of started to suspect because I was supposed to go for four weeks to India. <laughs> and then I packed my bags for four weeks. And then it ended up being like 13 weeks. Like I just kept not leaving. And eventually they were like, okay, like something's up. And then I called them and was like, Hey, (laughs) so they were, they weren't excited, but then they, they came around and were supportive, but then also kind of plugging me to come home at all times. So India was just, it was quite the adventure in my twenties. And I look back on it and there are multiple times when I almost truly almost died.
1: Are there a few or one story in particular where you felt you were especially in danger or...
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, so I worked for a long time in this rural town called Jharkhand, which is in the the poorest province of India. So it's the, it is like dirt poor, like people don't have access to food, water. I mean, it's pretty, pretty rough. And I was working on a program for livelihood development and to retrain the farmers in a more effective way to grow crops and also use it as an opportunity to educate the women so that they had slightly more empowerment. So basically you find these hooks that the men in the village are interested in, like crop optimization. And then they let the community kind of start to engage with the nonprofit. And then you use that as a way to teach other things like hygiene. So I would fly to Kolkata and then take a 45 minute car ride to the train station and then take, so usually be two or three flights and then like a six hour train ride to the middle of nowhere. And I was... In many cases, the only Caucasian person that they'd ever seen. And it's very unusual for a woman to travel alone. So one example is like the driver who would pick me up. And we were driving one day. We stopped and like a bunch of guys just like got into the car. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And they were hijacking us. And so I couldn't understand all the things that they were saying, but I was like, this doesn't seem good. <laughs> and so we, so we, I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit in the back. And I'm, I'm, uh, that was the day of the Blackberry. So I'm Black, Blackberry texting my best friend who's also in India. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm being kidnapped. And so we drove to an ATM and the driver got out and he took out a whole bunch of money and then gave the guy the money. And then we kept driving and then they let me out. And then the guy got out after that. And I was like, okay, so like it was resolved by like giving this guy a bunch of money, but like you know, at the moment, I was like, huh, I wonder how this is gonna pan out. Wow. So those were things that just weren't that unusual. Like I also went to a temple once and almost got stampeded to death. Like it just India is crazy, man. Weird things happen, and then I can I can never again eat. I really don't like eating Indian food because I got so sick that I. I one time got so sick in this rural village that I was unconscious, like in and out for two days in a hotel. And I woke, I remember waking up and the intern that I had was like sitting by my side, freaking out. And they were concerned about taking me to the hospital because they thought there was HIV risk if I went to the hospital there. It was so rural. And so they took me in the back of a car 10 hours to Kolkata to get me medical help. So it was like, just things like that, that were, you know, just not that unusual there. But like, when I look back on it now, I'm like, huh, yeah, that was risky. Yeah.
1: Wow. So your parents obviously weren't the biggest fan. Why did you come home? Like, did you tell them these things were happening? No. Or did you keep it a complete no. secret? Uh, <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> no. I mean, they Emails. knew. Did you yeah. put
1: that in your travel vlog?
2: Dear your mom have one. currently
1: being kidnapped? We'll keep yeah, you posted. No, no, no,
2: I didn't tell them any of that. So I eventually moved back because I was sick with digestive issues. And I lost a ton of weight and I just needed like proper medical care for a little bit in the U.S. In any case, the first day I got back, my mom invited my best friends over. We were sitting on the deck in their backyard in Lombard. And they had ordered the pizza and everybody was just chatting about life as, you know, I think we were 25 then. So, you know, what was what was going on in their lives? And they were talking about like reality TV shows and parties they'd gone to and and it was so I was later diagnosed with post-traumatic stress and that 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 sounds dramatic but just to help give you context it was so odd and unnerving because where I had come from was this rural part of India where literally like there was a time when a woman asked me to take her child to America because the child didn't have enough food and I was just a 24 25 year old there like doing what I was doing and So it was extreme, like it was, it was like a different, I don't want to, I don't want to be disrespectful to people who have gone into war, but it was a different kind of battle I'll say. And then I came home like unexpectedly and didn't really have time to reset. And I'm in this different world where nobody has any idea that even that world exists, you know, like people, a lot of people think that kind of poverty doesn't exist anymore and they're talking about what's important to them and not to trivialize that but it was just like i just couldn't give a shit i was like do you guys have any idea like what is happening like what these people are dealing with these people that i spend every day with and the stuff that we're talking about is so trite and it was it was really that was really hard because i i just didn't know how to think or what to think and bouncing between those two worlds was one of the the harder things i ever went through
1: wow. i can absolutely see again not to minimize military soldiers. But as you were describing it, that was what I thought of as well. as like the stories you hear of, you know, you go from being in a war zone where everything's life, death and serious. And then you come back and it's fast food and reality TV. And it's just hard to like switch back and forth. Right.
2: Super hard.
1: So how long were you, you left when you were 24? How long were you in India?
2: I was in India for a year and a half. Okay. So then I moved back and I actually went through. though. So in my, I was 25 and I got a job in New York and my brother and I road tripped out there and I had a total, my first major bout of like debilitating anxiety. And I ended up having to come back to Chicago and quit my job. And right as I turned 26, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, which runs in my family. And for anybody who knows if you do have a mental health issue, usually it emerges in your mid-20s. And so I had my first really major battle with that. And it was it was really hard. It went on for months and I didn't quite know what was happening to me. And I didn't know that there would be another side to it. I thought that that might be the end, but there was. I made it through. And that's a disease that I have that has carried with me. So it's something that I have had to manage And I'm sharing it in part because I think it's overly stigmatized. And I think talking about it, whatever little part I can have in sharing the reality, because I know a lot of people go through it as well. I usually try to. So it was formative.
1: How does it manifest itself for you?
2: It manifests for me in, at its worst form, overwhelming anxiety where I have panic attacks and I'm kind of non-functional. Like I just, I feel... I can't think I can't talk. Like, I just feel like the world is collapsing around me. And when I was a kid, it would manifest in night terrors, which is a different version of it. And when it's really bad, yeah, like I'm, I'm non-functional. And it, it's like, it's like being in the same place, but everything is different. And your reality of it is different. And it's horrifying reality. And it's a shitty place to be in. I've had th- three major episodes in my adult life from the time I'm 37 now. So from the time I was 25 and yeah, it's really, it's really rough for anybody who's been through it. It's, it's not, it's not fun.
1: Wow. How long does a typical episode last or is it there? No typical, it's just.
2: Well, so two, the first two were, I would say four to six months. And then I actually just very recently had one for the first time since I was 30, which was a bummer. And what motivated me really hard to not let it last that long was my son. I have a baby. And so I managed to get through it in about three weeks.
1: Wow. That's a lot shorter. I like that.
2: Yeah, I do too.
1: (laughs) So you're foreshadowing a little on the sun there. Yeah. You're back. You're, I think you're 25, 26 to where we last left you somewhere in there.
2: Yep. So I, so yeah, so I went through this health issue. I got through that. So I still had this like love hate relationship with business. I cared about international economic development. I cared about social impact. I saw business as a tool to get there. And so I kind of like forced myself to go to business school. Then I got a job because I was in the Bay Area, in the Bay Area, and I was there. So then I spent the next 10 years in the Bay Area working on social impact business. And I had a, a period of time where I was single and dating. So the first time I was really single, I was 28 and i didn't know what i was doing and so i i made a lot of terrible mistakes dating being like very starry-eyed and optimistic about how nice people were and turns out not everybody has your best intentions at heart <laughs> so i dated a lot of jerks made a lot of silly mistakes for about 4 years and was just about to throw in the towel when i met on tinder this guy I was like, he's super cute, but he's also younger than me. And I had had some bad experiences. And I was like, I'm not dating anybody younger than me. And he won me over by calling me on the phone, which again was like, what? Like he like picked up the phone, Whoa. And <laughs> called me with his voice.
1: In what year was this? He's making a real phone call.
2: Right? Man. This one 2016.
1: Was he okay. using a calling card?
2: It was bizarre. I was like, hello? I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like do you need help is this an emergency like why are you calling me and he just made me laugh for like 45 minutes and then convinced me to go out on a date with him so I went on a date with him and the moment I saw him I was like nah this is not he's not my type and we got two beers and sat down and I finished my beer and I said well thanks this was fun and he was like oh are you not into this and I was like Oh, are you, are you, I thought that like, if this was mutual, like, and he's like, yeah, big time. I was like, Oh shoot. I'm really, I'm really sorry. I just, I don't, I don't really see it. And he was like, okay, well, do you have any feedback for me? And I was like, no.
1: <laughs> how, how much younger is he than you?
2: He was 28 and I was 32. So I was like, no, I you seem very nice. I just don't think that we're in like the same life phase. And I don't know, whatever I said, he said, okay, well I can walk you to your car. And I said, okay, sure. And then on the the walk to the car, you know, of course he made me laugh a bunch again. And I get in my car and he said, so just to be super clear, we're not going out again tomorrow. <laughs> and and he was, I was like, you know what, let's just talk later. Cause I just felt like such a jerk at that point. And then, you know, I married him.
0: There you go. <laughs>
2: so that, Yeah. So then we got married. <laughs>
1: awesome great story
2: the next next day we know
1: so how long did you date before you got married
2: we dated for a year and two months and got engaged and then we got married a year and a day after we got engaged and then so that we got married in 2019 and we got married in the hills in northern california and it was beautiful and it was that was probably my favorite weekend of my life because we Made it a weekend trip more, more than not,
0: Cancun, huh? Not, yeah, I, not her whoa. favorite weekend. Not, not not, not, week. not week. week week, oh, weekend, weekend. Okay. There you go. okay, yeah, yeah, okay.
2: And then, so we had bought a house in Oakland, so we lived in Oakland, we had this wedding, it was great. And then, I was 34 and I was like, you know, want to have kids, I'm really nervous that this could take a while, so around October. I was like, you know, let's just pull the goalie and see what happens because it'll probably take a long time because like I'm a little older and we got pregnant immediately. First month, my husband was not ready for that. And so so luckily it takes nine months to bake a kid because he was like <laughs> really, really wasn't ready for that to happen as quickly as it did. And and I, I wasn't either, but but we, we got a wonderful, wonderful little guy out of it. So all's well.
1: Nice. And your wonderful little guy's name is?
2: Samuel West Cohen. He's named in part after a book called East of Eden, if anybody's read it. And that's Samuel. And then the West comes from, Elon and I just have a, a fierce love of the American West. And we just think it it kind of is a symbol for, I don't know, adventure in the wild. And, and we wanted Sam to have a spirit for that in his life.
1: And then to, to cap off your love for the West, you moved... Back to Illinois. I Is moved that...
2: to the Midwest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It was a very difficult decision for me to move to Chicago because my identity was so wrapped up in not living in Chicago anymore. And I also loved California, and my husband's from there, and we have friends and family there as well. But my brother had moved to Oakland and lived with me for a while. He was living in Oakland, and then he met his wife, and they moved back to Chicago, and. They were pregnant with their first kid, and my cousins just had a kid, and everybody was in Chicago but us. And they were all, we were all about to burst this new generation. Basically, my husband and I were like, you know, it's kind of selfish. Like we should just go there and raise our family there and, you know, have have what's most important, which is family surrounding us, and let Sam grow up with, with his cousins. We flew to Chicago, went to an apartment in the city that we rented to quarantine away from my parents, because this was at the beginning when nobody knew what was going on. And then moved in with my parents and stayed there for nine months until we moved into this exciting new house in Wheaton. And now that's where I live. I live in Wheaton, Illinois.
1: Wow. Whew. feel like full circle by the end. Full
2: circle. So if anybody wants to be friends again, after hearing this podcast, my husband and I need friends. <laughs> so I've already said that. now accepting today. applications. So yeah. We're now accepting <laughs> applications.
1: How would your high school self... Like, what would they think of your current self? The girl you described when you were 17, 18.
2: Yeah, well, I think, I think, so right now, I lead marketing at a biotech company. I think I thought I was going to be a politician, but I know that I really wanted to be a career focused woman. And so I think my high school self would be excited about that. I've worked really hard in my career and I started a business that's been very successful that I still own. And Now I've got this, this job that's hard and challenging, but I've managed to figure out how to have a family and a career. And so I think it's, it's not perfect. And by no means am I doing it perfectly. And there's tons of room for improvement, but I think that my high school self would be pretty jazzed to see that that's what happened. I think my high school self would be pretty bummed to find out that I moved back to Wheaton (laughs) because I think my high school self was pretty sure that I was going to blow this popsicle stand and never go back. But my adult self.
1: Nothing against all of us that still live in, uh, in No, yeah.
2: nothing okay. against any of you because my adult self realized that nothing's more important than, it's much less important where you live and much more important who you live by. And so that took, I think a lot of you just knew that and it took me 20 years to figure it out. And I think my high school self would probably, where I where I spend a lot of time reminding myself is I don't want to get too sucked into the American lifestyle. And so my high school self would probably remind me to keep an eye on what really matters and not lose my connection to the global community. And so, and I'm sure my high school self would be confused why I waited so long to get married and have kids. Because when you're like 16, you're like, oh, I'll probably be married and have kids at the time I'm like 26 or something. And that definitely wasn't my path. And I don't think it would have been the right path for me. But I, I really had no sense. Like being in your 30s, let alone 37 sounded very old, Like <laughs> very, very old. So my high school self might be annoyed at me for wearing skinny jeans still and parting my hair on the side because that is not cool anymore.
1: (laughs) All good answers. Well, this has been great. It's been awesome. Thank you so much.
2: I hope it has been. I, I feel like it was quite meandering.
1: I mean, we're going to cut it all. We'll
0: cut yeah, it all. This fine. will probably end up being like five minutes. But cut,
2: it, cut it except for the parts where I sing and that one comment I said about getting laid in the future.
0: <laughs> yeah. But we're going to we'll get that and we'll get it all just, just, we're gonna, just the
1: essentials. Yeah.
0: And the, the swears, <laughs> the swear words. It's just going to be that and the